I love white rice. Growing up, I had white rice with almost every meal. But like many of my colleagues in undergrad, I too put on the freshman 15. One of the lifestyle changes I considered was switching from my beloved, fragrant, soft, chewy, done in 20 minutes white rice to the earthy, tough, hard to cook brown rice. Why did I switch to brown rice? Because I heard and googled that brown rice is better for you. Something about it being less processed, taking longer to digest, and not spiking your blood sugar as severely as white rice, meaning that making the swap could potentially lower your risk for diabetes. But after many years following this switch, I never actually bothered to look at the academic research myself, instead relying on science reporting to do my thinking for me. So today I'd like for us to examine a small selection of research examining the link between white rice and diabetes, and get an idea for how strong the evidence is for making the switch to brown rice. Ready? You be the scientist. I began my search by firing up Google Scholar and searching white rice diabetes. My first hit was a meta-analysis with over 500 citations published in BMJ, a respected medical journal. I decided that this was a good place to start looking for information. The paper is called White Rice Consumption and Risk of Type 2 Diabetes, Meta-Analysis and Systematic Review. Meta-analyses refers to a special type of research paper that seeks to combine data from many different studies to get a bigger picture. Meta-analysis can be quite challenging to do, as you can imagine trying to combine data from many experiments, each done with different sample sizes, different methods at different times, with different samples, is not a straightforward task. And while it takes an expert to pick apart how meta-analyses are done, the casual observer, me, and maybe you, can look at a meta-analysis published in a respectable journal and kind of just assume that it is a reasonably informative overview of a subject. Before we get into what the meta-analysis actually says, let's see how the authors decided on which studies to include in their research. Context matters, after all. Let's get the easy stuff out of the way first. The authors filtered papers down to studies that were done with apparently non-diabetic patients whose data they could meaningfully analyze. Then, a pair of researchers read through those papers, came up with a list that they thought should be included, with their boss mediating the final list. They excluded animal studies, which, if you've listened to my episode on validity, is probably a good thing. They also exclude reviews, commentaries, letters, and other non-relevant papers. That's good too, as those types of articles are not actual pieces of scientific research. The authors go on to specify that their review is limited to cohort studies and excludes cross-sectional and case control studies. I want to talk about each one of these study designs in further detail, because if you are looking to do your own health research, it's important to understand the strengths and weaknesses of each. 1. A cohort study starts with a population of people who do not have a disease of interest. From that population, two groups of people are studied a group that is naturally exposed to what you believe is a risk factor for your disease, and a group that is not. 2. A cross-sectional study takes a big snapshot of a large population in one moment in time, collecting large amounts of survey data. 3. Case control studies involve looking at two groups of patients, one group that has the disease of interest, and a carefully selected, representative group of people that do not have the disease of interest. Already we have some interesting things to talk about here. 
Why would the authors of this research on whether white rice consumption causes diabetes deliberately kneecap themselves by honing in on just cohort studies? One quick reason is that these studies produce unique types of data that cannot be directly compared. But if we can't combine data across these different study types, why focus solely on cohort studies? Let's try to imagine hypothetical experiments for each study and think about what the strengths and limitations of each study type are. 1. Let's imagine a cohort study that follows 70 non-diabetic white rice eaters and 70 non-diabetic brown rice eaters who are similar in every way age, sex, location, socioeconomic status, race, and seeks to determine whether the white rice eater group ends up with more people with diabetes than the brown rice eater group after, let's say, 15 years. 2. Let's imagine a cross-sectional study that surveys a town of 2,000 people and asks them about their eating habits and general health, seeking to see if there is an association between people eating white rice and having diabetes. 3. Let's imagine a case control study that follows 100 people with diabetes and 100 people that are similar in every way to the diabetic group, accounting for age, sex, location, socioeconomic status, and race, with the exception that they do not have diabetes with the aim of seeing if people who have diabetes were more likely to eat white rice than people without diabetes. Let's take a look at the strengths and weaknesses of each study design, starting from the study type that I find to be the weakest. 1. The cross-sectional study. Let's say in our town of 2,000 people that 100 of them have diabetes. Let's say that those 100 people were 20% more likely than the rest of the population to eat white rice. How strong is that evidence for the argument that white rice consumption leads to diabetes? First, let me clarify what criteria we can use to determine the strength of evidence. How many other explanations can you think of for finding out that diabetic individuals are more likely to eat white rice than non-diabetic individuals, besides the assumption that white rice causes diabetes? Take a moment to come up with alternate hypotheses. I can think of three potential explanations for why diabetic individuals may be more likely to eat white rice. 1. White rice is cheap. We know that socioeconomic hardship may result in poorer food quality, in higher chronic stress, and plenty of other things that could, in some way, influence whether an individual develops diabetes. 2. People who eat brown rice may just be more health conscious in other fields of their life too. I know that while I made the switch to brown rice, I made a concerted effort to lose the freshman 15. I was going to the gym and trying to have some semblance of a sleep schedule. Was it the brown rice or my overall attitude that was contributing to my loss of the freshman 15? 3. What if it's not the fact that white rice is bad for you, but say white rice consumption in this town is not done at home, but is instead more associated with eating out at restaurants? In that case, maybe it's the fact that people who eat more white rice are at a higher risk of developing diabetes because they are eating out a lot more. A cross-sectional study on its own is not bad, but the power of its data is limited because a cross-sectional study is fundamentally a correlational study with many confounding variables. A correlation is observed between data when they occur together. 
To push the limits of correlations to the extreme, I could say that my age correlates with the number of US presidents, and this is true. When I was 0 years old, there were 42 presidents. When I was in high school, there were 44, and now there are 46. I hope I don't have to explain that me blowing out a birthday candle doesn't actually cause a president to be elected. This seems like a patronizing example, but I use it because we humans are prone to getting this wrong all the time. Because we are automatically wired to see patterns and connections, and in science, patterns and connections have to be verified. Remember when people were using studies showing an association between moderate drinking and better health outcomes as an excuse to drink? Yeah. It takes effort to override your instincts and process things to this level, but that's what this podcast is for. If you still don't believe me, during the development of the scientific reasoning scale, only 58% of study participants were able to distinguish between correlation and causation. If you think you can do better, you can take this quiz on your own on my website, ybtspod.com. Anyway, back to the science. The second type of study we'll evaluate is the case control study. Let's say that in our group of 100 diabetic patients that 60% of them ate white rice as their main carbohydrate, whereas 30% of our group of 100 non-diabetic patients ate white rice as their main carbohydrate. How strong is this evidence for the argument that white rice does cause diabetes? What alternate hypothesis can you come up with? I'll see you in a bit. While the case control study is still an observational study only capable of generating correlations, it is more powerful than the cross-sectional study because those confounding variables, those intrinsic differences that get in the way of properly studying your question, are less present. Now, everyone is more or less living with the same environmental risks, and we can more closely look at variables that we want to think about. So if we selected our control group well enough, we shouldn't have to worry about socioeconomic differences between white rice eaters or non-white rice eaters. But some of those same concerns we had with the cross-sectional study still persist with our case control study. A case control study is still looking for correlations. We still wouldn't be able to tell if our group of non-white rice eaters just started off being more health conscious than our rice eater group. So what we're left with is the cohort study, a study type that follows two populations of different exposures to what you think is a risk factor for your disease over time. Our example study involves following 140 non-diabetic people, 70 white rice eaters and 70 non-white rice eaters, over 15 years and determining how consumption of white rice affects your risk of developing diabetes. This study type is quite powerful as you are essentially comparing a study participant to their past selves meaning that confounding variables having to do with differences between people's biologies or behavior can be reasonably controlled. But if you've been following the thread here, even a cohort study is still a correlative study. We still can't figure out whether the consumption of white rice directly influences the chance of developing diabetes. So if both the case control study and the cohort study share the same fundamental weaknesses, 
why did the authors choose the cohort study to include in this review? As I mentioned before, we can't compare case control studies and cohort studies within the same analysis. The types of data that they generate are slightly different. Case control studies produce a statistic called an odds ratio, and cohort studies produce a risk ratio. I'm not entirely sure why they preferred cohort studies over case control studies, but I'm guessing they had to choose at some point. We now understand one of the major criteria the authors of this study used when determining which studies to include. They started off with over 2,000 studies and narrowed their search down to just four papers. With that out of the way, let's take a look at what the authors found when they pooled all their data together. Quote, Four articles were identified that included seven distinct prospective cohort analyses in Asian and Western populations from this study. A total of 13,284 incident cases of type 2 diabetes were ascertained among 352,384 participants with follow-up periods ranging from 4 to 22 years. Asian, Chinese, and Japanese populations had much higher white rice consumption levels than did Western populations. Average intake levels were 3 to 4 servings a day versus 1 to 2 servings per week. The pooled relative risk was 1.55, comparing the highest with the lowest category of white rice intake in Asian populations, whereas the corresponding relative risk was 1.12 in Western populations. In the total population, the dose-response meta-analysis indicated that for each serving per day increment of white rice intake, the relative risk of type 2 diabetes was 1.11, end quote. If you couldn't tell by how much I talked about how much I love white rice, I am Asian. And pooling the data from their papers in Asian populations, they determined that their relative risk was 1.55, meaning white rice eaters had a 55% greater risk of developing type 2 diabetes. But before you throw out all your bags of white rice, let's take a moment to think about the strengths and weaknesses of this approach. This paper has a nice section discussing the strengths and weaknesses of their paper. I'll quote the authors here because they've addressed everything I was thinking and more. Quote, Several caveats of this meta-analysis are worth discussing. Firstly, although the ethnicity stratified analysis did not show significant heterogeneity within each group, the limited number of studies may lead to diminished statistical power for detecting heterogeneity within each stratum. Secondly, although we included the results from only the fully adjusted models, because all individual studies were observational in nature, the results of these studies may still be subject to residual confounding or other biases. Confounding by socioeconomic status is of particular concern because this is both a risk factor for type 2 diabetes and a predictor of white rice consumption in Asian and Western populations. However, the U.S. studies consisted of participants from the same professional background, so confounding by socioeconomic status was likely to be small. In addition, other studies controlled for indicators of socioeconomic status such as income and education. Nevertheless, residual confounding by socioeconomic status cannot be completely ruled out in these studies. Depending on the nature of uncontrolled or residual confounding, the associations seen in these individual studies and in our meta-analyses could be biased in either direction. Skipping ahead, the strength of this meta-analyses include the large sample size and long duration of follow-up of the included studies. In addition, most established risk factors for type 2 diabetes were adjusted for in the fully adjusted models in these studies. Moreover, inclusion of studies in both Asian and Western countries allowed us to investigate the dose-response relation on the basis of a wide spectrum of white rice intake levels. If you've understood our discussion on the limits of the cohort study, you should have picked up on the fact that all studies of this nature are correlational. 
and there are variables that you just can't untangle using this type of research. I also picked up on the fact that a meta-analysis based on four papers is likely not to be very robust. It actually didn't occur to me that you could use Western populations to compare Eastern populations to as a way to gauge whether the amount of rice consumed affected the risk of developing diabetes. The studies done in the Western populations were also controlled for socioeconomic status by isolating a particular profession, which leans towards the idea that it could be white rice that is actually putting you more at risk of diabetes and not how much money you have. So now that we've reached the end of this paper, how convinced are you that white rice consumption may lead to diabetes? Because the nature of this paper is correlational, I can't officially say that I'm convinced at this point. But here's where the human element comes in. While I acknowledge the fact that if this is the only research I've done on this topic, then I cannot conclusively determine if white rice contributes to diabetes risk. I myself can make the decision to change my habits anyway. Yes, that's right. If I read this full well knowing that this paper is not direct evidence of white rice leading to diabetes, I would still change my behavior. Why? Because while the evidence is not perfect, it is striking enough that I may not want to wait for more science to be done. Who knows if and when the hypothesis of white rice leading to diabetes will be overturned. But this is a really important, rarely discussed point. I can change my behavior now based on correlation to stay on the safe side and reassess my position later in the face of new research. Part of the problem of science communication and science understanding nowadays is that people assume that science is a monolith of static truth. In reality, science is more about communicating what we believe now to be the best explanation for how things happen. It is ever-evolving and ever-changing, so it helps to keep an open mind when contradictory research is published. Of course, just being open-minded to any old paper with a non-consensus conclusion is not what I'm advocating for. But being open to change while keeping your critical thinking hats on is really the best way to consume science. That being said, it's time for you to actually be the scientist here. We know that there is a reasonable correlation between eating white rice and developing diabetes especially in Asian populations. How would you go about designing an experiment to prove or disprove the idea that white rice leads to diabetes? Design an experiment specifically to prove causation, not correlation. I'll see you in a bit. And we're back. Here's what I came up with. A randomized controlled trial. Take a population of people and separate them randomly into two groups. Tell one group of people to eat white rice as their main starch and tell the other group to eat brown rice as their main starch. Follow up in a couple years and see if substituting white rice for brown rice lowers the risk of diabetes. I figured this approach would be best, as if you just told somebody to just cut white rice out, they could easily substitute white rice for another simple starch, like noodles or pasta or bread. Designing the experiment in this way gives it the best chance of producing something interesting. I went to Google Scholar to see if anybody has done something like this, and lo and behold, great minds do in fact think alike. A paper published in the British Journal of Nutrition does something pretty similar. 
The paper is called Substituting Brown Rice for White Rice on Diabetes Risk Factors in India, a Randomized Controlled Trial. After screening a population of volunteers in India, researchers were left with 166 participants who had to have the following qualities. 1. They were habitual white rice consumers. 2. They were between the age of 25 and 65. 3. They were overweight. I'm guessing they specified this to give them the best chance at seeing an effect as high BMI is a risk factor for diabetes. 4. They did not have existing diabetes or other conditions that may make participating in a dietary study dangerous. The participants were then randomly split into two groups. One group got fed breakfast and lunch consisting of white rice meals, and the other group got fed breakfast and lunch consisting of brown rice meals for three months. Then, they are allowed to eat whatever they want for two weeks. Finally, the group that had white rice meals were given brown rice meals, and the group that got brown rice meals got white rice meals for three months. This study type is known as a randomized crossover trial. This podcast is running long enough, so I'll say from what I understand, this type of study is a potentially resource-efficient way to get meaningful data out of a smaller group of study participants. The researchers then compared each study participant's biometric data on white rice to when they were on brown rice. These data include fasting plasma glucose, insulin, HbA1c, lipids, and hsCRP, all relevant biomarkers for diabetes. After these six months and two weeks, 58 participants in group A completed the study while 55 participants in group B completed the study. So what did the researchers find? I'll let them explain. Quote, During the intervention, no significant between-group differences were observed for markers of glycemic control with lipids. However, non-significant trends in decreased levels of fasting glucose, insulin, HbA1c, HOMAIR, TAG, total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol, were observed for the brown rice diet compared to the white rice diet. They go on and describe the rest of their data similarly. Effects in their results seem to be not statistically convincing, we'll say with a couple of notable exceptions. HbA1c levels were significantly lower during the brown rice diet for people with metabolic syndrome compared to people without metabolic syndrome, a condition that often comes before diabetes. Additionally, HbA1c levels and cholesterol levels were lower for participants that were above 25 BMI, indicating the switch to brown rice diet may benefit those who are more likely to develop diabetes in the future. What can you conclude from this study? What do you take away from all this? Is substituting white rice for brown rice a good idea if you're worried about developing diabetes? If you're left with this feeling of unease, then congratulations, you've experienced what it's like bumping up to the edge of human knowledge. Our correlational data from the meta-analysis we talked about earlier seemed to heavily suggest that white rice consumption could lead to diabetes. Yet here, with an actual experiment, what we're left with are data that are mostly non-significant. What are we supposed to make of all this? Is brown rice better or not? Isn't this kind of frustrating? Here are some reasons the authors give for why their data may not be significant. 1. Insufficient sample size. 55 in a group for this type of study may not be enough to tease apart subtle differences in biology. 2. Insufficient timescale. Who's to say that making the switch between white and brown rice has an effect within just three months? At the beginning of this podcast, I thought we'd get to the bottom of whether substituting white rice for brown rice would ultimately be better for me, and yet here we are staring into the chasm of uncertainty. 
If you are blaming the authors for not recruiting more participants or not following up for longer, take a moment to appreciate how difficult these studies are. Cohort studies are horribly expensive to do. All of these study participants had to be fed two meals six days out of the week for months. Additionally, the longer you wait for a study to be completed, the higher chance of people dropping out is. And diabetes itself can take a long time to manifest, so instead of waiting for diabetes to develop, they had to look at pre-diabetic biomarkers. You might not have that long. I hope you can appreciate that the process of science can be quite difficult, and not every paper is going to give you home-run results. So what do I, a person lacking medical credentials, but a reasonably educated person, make out of this paper? I would say, given the two papers we looked at, that we cannot conclusively say, without a shadow of a doubt, that substituting white rice for brown rice will lower your risk for diabetes all that much, unless you are on the heavier side and or already experiencing metabolic syndrome. If you're left unsatisfied with these conclusions, I have some suggestions. The first suggestion. You can use Google Scholar on your own and get a general idea of what else is out there. I do this podcast as a hobby, and I can't spend hours of my life doing this kind of research. But it was just my freaking luck that while double-checking sources for this podcast, I came across a meta-analysis on randomized controlled trials for brown rice intervention that I missed the first time around. And instead of throwing out this 11-page script, why don't we say that I did this on purpose so you can dig into the paper and see for yourself what the latest research on brown rice is? I'll put the link in the blog, but the paper is called The Effect of Brown Rice Compared to White Rice on Adiposity Indices, Lipid Profile, and Glycemic Markers, a systematic review and meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials published in critical reviews in food science and nutrition. The second thing you can do is ask your trained medical professional. I cannot express this concern enough. This podcast is not a substitute for seeking professional help. It is more meant to equip you with tools to engage with science when Sam Facebook or Rachel Reddit or Joe Twitter post some article about a hot new diet trend or nutritional supplement or say, I don't know, a drug not approved by the FDA to treat a certain respiratory illness in lieu of a safe, effective, and free vaccine. Your medical professionals spend so long in school learning the science, and you should obviously include them in conversations about your health. So what am I going to do with this information? I'm going to stick with brown rice. I've found a brand of brown rice that I actually quite like, despite me ragging on brown rice earlier. Switching to brown rice also makes eating white rice at restaurants all that more exciting. There are good theoretical reasons why white rice could contribute to your risk of diabetes. As being a simple carb, white rice more aggressively spikes your blood sugar. And I gotta remind you guys that I didn't provide a comprehensive overview of this research, just two papers I thought would cover a lot of ground very quickly. But the reality is, science isn't always going to deliver nice and easy no-thought answers. Which, again, is why when it comes to serious health matters, you should consult your healthcare professional. Having done this exercise with me, you may be tempted to always look for the strongest evidence before making decisions. I have a blog post on hyperskepticism and how to get around feeling like no science is ever good enough, my website being ybtspod.com. That's a dangerous path to go down. As you begin to raise the standard for proof higher and higher, you may weirdly wander towards a paralyzing state of anxiety, or worse, conspiracy. And if you find all of this active thinking and evaluating tiresome, just remember that there are people out there who have spent much of their 20s studying this stuff for a living. No harm in asking for help, but never stop thinking for yourself. 
The take home for this episode is that doing science and interpreting science is tricky. That might as well be the case for every episode I do, but it's especially the case when it comes to interpreting studies that deal with correlation. Correlations are often how deeper research into a topic starts, but studies of this nature are often overrepresented in the media landscape. Messing up correlation and causation is so common that only 58% of study participants were able to correctly tell them apart. Which, again, you can find on my website, ybtspod.com. It's obvious when pointed out, but because of the way we're wired, we can often be left with an unearned sense of confidence when it comes to research. You may be tempted to automatically write off correlative studies as being false or useless, but that's not the point of this either. The point is science has to be interpreted with context, and facts in science have to be assigned a certain level of confidence. So next time somebody shares some evocative science on social media, take care to interpret with caution, especially if those studies rely on correlation. That's all for this episode. I want to give a special thank you to my friends in medicine who have helped me understand how to navigate doing my own research in this field. If you want to check out the rest of the You Be The Scientist episodes, you can visit my website at ybtspod.com where you can easily be redirected to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or now Spotify. And if you're there, you might as well stop by the Scientific Reasoning Quiz where you can see how much you know about how to properly evaluate science. If you want my residual thoughts on this episode, as well as the primary research material, research aids, and other sources, you can check out the blog as well. If you want to suggest a topic for the next podcast, or give me your thoughts and feedback on this episode, get at me at ybtspod on Twitter. Music was done at Stybix, that's S-T-Y-B-I-X, you can find them on Fiverr. Until next time, friends, keep those thinking caps on. Three, what if it's not the... Cat, stop it, please. I'm trying to record. Please?